Welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, an online lit mag dedicated to artful autobiographical writing, which you can read today at autofocuslit.com and follow on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I'm the publisher and editor of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, I talk with David Kirby. David Kirby's collection, The House of Boulevard Street, New and Selected Poems, was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2007. Kirby is the author of Little Richard, The Birth of Rock and Roll, which the Times Literary Supplement of London called a hymn of praise to the emancipatory power of nonsense. His latest poetry collection is Help Me Information from LSU Press, and he teaches English at Florida State University. All right, let's get to it. This is my conversation with David Kirby. The whole thing began when a little child was born in a manger uh, outside of uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it was me. Uh, and uh, I, I grew up in the happiest place in the world. Uh, my parents were both teachers. My, my father uh, was a university professor. He was a medievalist at uh, Louisiana State in Baton Rouge. And uh, my mom was a, was a fifth grade teacher. Uh, and they were, in, in their backgrounds, uh, as different as they could be. Uh, my father uh, spoke, I think, four languages. He, he, I believe he read something like 11. And he had all these uh, dictionaries. He, he had a, 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 an old book line study with a uh, fireplace in it. It looked like something out of an English murder mystery. And uh, he had all these uh, leather-bound uh, volumes with, you know, with the, the gold uh, type on them. And he not only had uh, Norse dictionaries, but he had like old Norse dictionaries and middle Norse dictionaries with all these runes and hieroglyphs and scrolls in them. So, uh, uh, you know, that was that was a one side, a big side of my life because uh, he, was, he was very quiet, very scholarly, uh, d- didn't say a lot. But when he did, he would he would banter. We would talk about languages and word word choices, but in, in a playful way that was, you know, good and, and user friendly for a little kid. On the other hand, my mother had grown up way back in the woods in uh, in the Tangipahoa Parish, Louisiana. The nearest town was uh, Amit, which uh, is, is a, you know, just a one stoplight town to this day. Uh, and uh, so and, and she didn't even grow up in Amit. She grew up back on a working farm and uh, she she just she had uh, stories. Whenever anybody uh, says, uh, where did you get your love of stuff? Before they can even finish the word, I said, my mother, my <laughs> mother, because because she was a farm girl. And, uh, you know, the um, the novelist Alan Gerganis says that uh, stories happen to people who like to tell them. And my mother loved to tell <laughs> stories. And she grew up uh, in uh, in a world that was a little bit around us because we lived four miles outside of Baton Rouge. And we actually had technically a farm ourselves. It was a 10 acre spread and uh, we had sheep on it at different times, uh, horses, chicken and ducks all the times, of course, and various, various dogs. And uh, there were, you know, there were, there were people who lived out in the, in, in, in the woods. And I don't mean in houses in the woods, but you know, in trees stuff like that and uh, there were uh, this was south louisiana so they were they were conjure people uh i remember my mother telling me i don't remember this but i remember her telling me that when i was a kid i had i had uh, warts on one of my hands and uh she uh she hired a, a conjure man just to sit with me and, and talk to me uh one morning and uh, in, in a few days the, the warts began to disappear because I, I don't know how he did it he uh 
uh, he didn't use any uh, roots or juju or voodoo or anything. He just sort of talked them, talked them away. And, uh, you know, she, that kind of stuff is just as natural for her as, as it was for my father to go off to, you know, to a yeah. conference in Germany and deliver a scholarly paper. So I had those, that, that yin and yang, that alpha and the omega. And, uh, if you look at those poems, you'll, you'll see that, uh, uh, they, they contain a great deal of pretentious knowledge. Uh, and, um, <laughs> I wasn't surprised when you said that <laughs> your father was, yeah. in an, was an academic. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but also, uh, you know, just, just, just the love of nonsense and, and yeah. of, uh, and, and of storytelling and all of her stories weren't, uh, weren't happy stories either. She she told me one time late in her life that when she was a little girl, she rode a horse to school. She said one day she came up over a hill and some men were uh were motioning her back and but it was too late. She said they they, they were lynching someone. She actually oh, she wow. actually witnessed a lynching and turned around and, and went home. So uh you know and that marvelous book that Greel Marcus wrote about uh, Bob Dylan and the band, he talks about what he calls the old weird America. Which yeah. by which he meant the the, the America is it's really Walt Whitman's America, Herman Melville's America, you know, a, a world where there were bankers and lawyers and engineers, but there were also um, uh, you know Johnny Appleseed, there were uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 swindlers, confidence men, riverboat gamblers, uh, people who would just show up in your yard and and uh, you, you didn't know if they wanted to do yard work or or, or cut your throat, uh, and uh, you know a world that was. You know, very loosely organized. We, you know, the we didn't become the America that we did today until after the Civil War. Before that, you know, it's pretty much anybody can be a doctor or or a lawyer. And uh, then, you know, they, they started the American Medical Association, started the American Bar Association. And after the Civil War, you know, we decided to get our act together. But before that, every every everybody was kind of an amateur. And uh, you know, she was she was born much much after that time, but. Living out in the woods as she did, living in, in, in with her family on that farm, uh, you know there was a lot of that that was left over, which was mysterious and uh, made it easy for me to understand people like uh, like Little Richard, whom, whom I wrote a mm-hmm. book about because because he too, uh, you know, c- came from a, a world of snake oil salesman and uh, and just just weird weird uh, stuff you know as opposed to laid up against um, you know my father's uh, uh, cool surfaced uh, scholarship so put all that together and uh, you get the, the the guy you're talking to right now <laughs> and so you so did you grow up listening to little Richard you know I I grew up um, l- listening to whatever was on the uh, the radio and if uh, yeah. the uh, yeah, it, it's amazing to me how, how things are, uh, are 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 separated and divided these days because in that in that time uh, on the radio you would you would hear a Patty Page song or you would hear uh, you know an, an instrumental you would hear uh, on one station you would hear a country song uh, mm. and or, or you would hear. Uh, you know, of course, a lot of silly stuff and novelty songs. You might hear Sinatra, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it was all uh, you know, it was all very different, and yet it was all with, within the white lines. I would say um, one of the uh, first things I remembered hearing was uh, was "Rock Around the Clock" by Bill Haley and the and the Comets, and thinking, well, that that's a little bit different from uh, "How Much Is That Doggy in the Window" uh, or "The Yellow Rose <laughs> of Texas." In fact, I asked my brother, I said, "What's this?" He said, "This is rock and roll." Uh, it's going to be really big. 
pay attention. My brother was a little older than I was, so I, I looked up to him for that kind of thing. And yeah. then, uh, you know, not long after I heard uh, this guy singing, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. And I said, what is that? He said, that's Elvis Presley. He said, he's going to be big. You better pay attention to him. <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't long after that, I, I switched on my little green uh a plastic Westinghouse radio, and I heard this guy saying, Wah, baba, loo-bop, a lot, bam, boom. And I said, what the hell is that? My brother said, I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of became a, a free-range chicken at that point, and I, I never looked back. I mean, it was so... It, it, it was so liberating. As you know, I, I write about music a, a lot. I'm, I'm reading a, a mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful book right now. I'm going to write a, a re review of it for a, a newspaper by a, our, one of our greatest cultural critics. who's a guy named Khalifa Sané, and he's talking mm -hmm. about uh, about how music, all music is tribal. All music defines who you are, uh, but it does that partially by defining uh, other people out you know, defines them outside of mm -hmm. the circle, which is why, uh, you know, people in my generation, when somebody comes down the street playing uh, some gangster rap on the on the car radio, you know, they tend to shout, turn that shit off because it's <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so not what what they are. But when I when I heard the, the first uh, shouts and cries of, of rock and roll and, the you know, the, uh, the clanging guitars and the soulful saxophones that backed it up. I, I thought this this is uh, this is my music. You know, Doctor Doctor King has a a, a phrase. Uh, he he calls it uh, somebodiness, and he says, you know, that that his his movement and and uh, the, the activities of the Freedom Summer in 1964 and the whole civil rights uh, activism was designed to uh, give people a sense that they were somebody, as as opposed to just uh, you know chattel or just uh, an inconsequential marginal person. And this, the same is so true for music. Too and you know you you uh, whatever you hear between you know the ages of about fourteen and and and, and thirty are are the things that that this that allow you to say and you never use these words but your little voice inside you says I am I am somebody and when I heard a little Richard and you know Fats Domino Jerry Lee Lewis Buddy Holly all those people I said I said you know these are my people and was it that kind of music that that brought you into poetry or did your path to poetry kind of come separately from music? That that's a, that's a good, good and hard to answer question <laughs> because I was always writing uh, poetry. Uh, it, it always represented a kind of ultimate uh, freedom uh, to me. I never really thought about it the way I'm sure Simone Biles probably when she was, you know, eight, nine, 10, never really thought about uh, wh whether she should be jumping off uh, and on a vault horse or, or not. She just did it. You know, it was all, all a kind of, of play, but uh, you know, as, as I went along, I, I realized that, you know, I had to make my own cocktail and uh, there were, there were people that I just adored like John Keats uh, because he was lush and a lot of poetry as you then and now is, you know, kind of astringent. And I didn't want that. I, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be lush. I wanted it to be high calorie. I wanted mm -hmm. it to be lip smacking. Uh, I wanted it to be action packed. I mean, when I was a little kid, I would ride my bike into uh, Baton Rouge and, on Saturday morning and see, uh, you know, old, old fashioned uh, 
Westerns with cowboys in impossibly clean shirts, uh, you know, pulling out their six guns and fanning them and, and uh, you know, uh, not, not ever seeming to have to reload too much and, and uh, doing justice to evildoers and, and, uh, and setting the world right. And, and, you know, I, I, I liked that too. And I liked, uh, I liked Gerard after a while. I liked Gerard Manley Hopkins. And I liked Emily Dickinson and I liked that word drunkenness and the originality of what their phrasings. And, uh, but you know, the, the whole time I thought, uh, this is this is showbiz. I, I want Little Richard's uh, energy. I want I want uh, Buddy Holly's heartbreak. I, I want to uh, I, I, I want the license to make a complete and total ass of myself if I feel like <laughs> the way Jerry Lee Lewis does. I mean, we saw him in concert a few years ago over in Jacksonville when he was still touring. And he, he had no F's to give. He gave no F's. Uh, he, he just uh, talked to his boys on stage and they turned their back to the audience. And, uh, and, and, uh, and every once in a while, he would just rip off one. Then he would go back to clowning around with the guys. And finally, uh, this was, there was a big working class audience over there because Jacksonville's a port city. Uh, this guy stood up and played, played something. And Jerry Lee turned and looked at the guy and said, uh, them doors swing both ways and pointed to the back of the auditorium. And, uh, you know, I, I, th- this was, of course, after I was uh, writing poetry. But that was that was the whole thing, that kind of, you know, containable outlaw persona. I mean, you, you know, he mm-hmm. was he was you knew he was a, a rough guy and a bad guy, but you also knew he was your friend. And, you know, I wanted a little bit of that in my poetry as well. So, you know, there's just there was just a huge. Uh, uh, a huge array of choices to me, and there still is. I'm still, still working on uh, on, on reinvention uh, all the time because it's you know it's just too much fun not to. <laughs> so tell me about kind of your writing and and you, and your poems, kind of leading up to like your first publication, your first collection of poems that came out. Like when did that happen, and and kind of what led up to it? You know, uh, I went to. Um, graduate school at Johns Hopkins. And I took what Billy Collins calls uh, a regular egghead PhD. You know, I, I wrote a dissertation on Henry James uh, <laughs> instead of going off to a, a writing program because I knew that mm-hmm. uh, I knew that I would always write poetry. And I knew I read it. I, I needed to read uh, a, a couple of hundred more books uh, at, at least before I could even <laughs> begin to call myself educated. And the best way to do that is to sign up for school and have somebody, you know, compel you to do it and write big, thick uh, <laughs> papers with barnacle-like clusters of uh, footnotes around them. So so I did that and, and wrote about Henry James and uh, got this job here, the job that I, I have now uh, at uh, Florida State. And, uh, you know, I had a family coming along, so I had to get tenure. So I, I began to write uh, uh, critical prose, began to write, uh, you know, reference books, all kinds of different things. And uh, sort of established myself that way, kept, you know, with one hand, I was doing that. With the other hand, I was writing the poems. And after a while, I looked and said, you know, I've, I think I've got enough poems here to make make a book. And I, I made a little book that came out from the Cleveland State University Poetry Center. And uh, that was good. And I wrote uh, a book called Saving the Young Men of Vienna that won uh, University of Wisconsin's Brittingham Prize. Which uh, was, you know, was a nice, prestigious prize, and at mm-hmm. at which the winning of, I said, I said, okay, this is it, man. This is easy street for me. And, uh, <laughs> and Michael, I couldn't get I couldn't get published 
for five years after that, I thought, yeah. aren't I supposed to publish a second book and a third and a fourth? Just couldn't get anywhere. I mean, I wrote <laughs> manuscripts, yeah. but you know, they, they just weren't landing. And uh, I wish I could say I you know, hired a consultant or I went to a therapist or something like that. But I, I've always been just a guy who just kind of works steadily. And I thought this will this will work out some kind of way. And I wrote a book yeah. on Herman Melville and I put together another poetry mans- manuscript and a tiny little Washington, D.C. press called Orchises Press that that's. Oh, run by an angelic uh, and, and wonderful editor named uh, Roger Lathbury. I took that book, and then I published several books with Orchises, uh, and uh, I, I love them. I love the press, but uh, somebody uh, asked me to send a book to uh, LSU Press, and they've been my my primary press ever since, uh, mainly because they have a, a you know a, a, a well-oiled and worldwide uh, distribution system. So. Yeah. Uh, just you know, I've got this new one that's uh, just come out, and sooner or later, you know, in a couple of years, I hope to send them another one. So you know, and that, as you mentioned, that, that kind of you know, you just had that new book, your new book, um, "Help Me Information," which is one of my favorite titled books <laughs> of uh, of the year so far that I've heard. And you know, how long has that book been been in the making for you? Uh, you know, it's when I put a book. Together, I need about, I don't know how many poems are in that book. Some of my books are that are a little shorter. I know are about 20, 20 or 25 poems. I need about 60 mm-hmm. poems to, to choose from. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always, I'm always surprised when I meet a poet and they say, well, I've almost got the book finished. I've got to write two more poems for it. Like they're, you know, making a list or, or, or something, uh, <laughs> you know, they got to make numbers, numbers 11 and 12. Uh, because to me, uh, I, I just need a huge pool. And then I, I look back at it. So, um, and what goes into it is of course, uh, what is, you know, the, you know, the latest work, because, uh, you know how that goes. You, you think, you know, in, in 2011, you're at the point that God, this this is going to be immortal, and then you know, 2015, you look back, and you go, that was good, but man, the one I wrote yesterday is really good. So you kind of put it together that way. Yeah. But then I, I did go back. I, I reached back into the deep past and got a couple of others that uh, that, that just seemed to snuggle in better uh, to the uh, to that book. And it's not a book with a with a particular uh, arc. Uh, or there's no narrative to it per se, but um, I think, and, and this is something else I, I picked up from uh, music. Uh, like you know, when I give a reading, or when I even when I send five poems to a, a, a magazine, I sort of think of it in uh, pop concert uh, terms. You know, what am I going to start out with? What works best in the middle? Mm-hmm. What's going to going to uh, you know? Uh, what will be the perfect ending so that uh, anybody who reads Help Me Information, and it's whatever it is, 120 pages, uh, you, you know, will we'll feel as though there's not a not a temporal or a chronological beginning, middle, and end, but there's sort of an emotional one, shall we say. Uh, and and uh, so yeah. um, sooner or later, I'm going to have to put a new and selected poems together. I don't I don't know that I ever <laughs> want to do a 
collected poems because a there are too many of them and 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 b there are just some that uh, are better left uh, you know left gathering dust uh, wherever they're gathering dust right now <laughs> and, and I always I always hope to uh, you know always hope to write something better and better every every day yeah and I think the poems in the book definitely have a, a stylistic cohesion as well you know and and in a way you know thematic in the sense that the the book is called help me information and so much information and you reckoning with information and kind of comparing information you know it happens throughout and so yeah i would yeah there's not you know an arc in terms of narrative but it's very it feels like a very um complete and kind of thoughtful book in 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 its own context and i wanted to talk a little bit about some of the the elements of of your style you know that use of information which is not something you see very much um in in poetry and i think in that way you know your poetry has a lot in common with with essay yeah um and they're they're poems that kind of tend to go everywhere they're long and winding yes. the lines are really long there's lots of turns seeming non sequiturs like i said kind of comparing this you know comparing that you know in some poems you know maybe the more simple shorter ones are you know a lot of i, I feel something characteristic of your work is like comparison like there's like the, a starting there's like a starting subject and then it, we kind of wander in your mind thinking to it and it leads to something that seems unrelated um but you're kind of making like a one to one comparison yeah um you know and there's a few poems i can in the book i can think like that are really that kind of like one to one and then there's other poems that are like this is like that is like these which is like those and and they kind of mm. you know tail around a including um you know, the last piece you published in uh, Autofocus with us, Driver Sees Opportunities. Oh, yeah. Where it's like you sit down for a play and then it goes into like Hell's Angels and kind of philosophy as a concept and then uh, race cars. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, two things I think about with your work is like it's like a very careful reconstruction of like live thinking on the page. Uh, like, um, uh. And, it, and it, it feels like a sort of constructed, like a very constructed uh, journal. Like it, it comes off kind of, um, it feels like it comes off freehand, but I also get the sense that there's a very careful <laughs> carefulness, you know, either in, either in your drafting, um, or your revising process, you know, and so all of that to say, you know, does that, you know, ring true with you? Like when you think about your poetry, um, that idea of like live thinking and, and kind of journals. It, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And I, I want to say that, um, a couple of things. One is I, I do want to convey a sense of the mind at work, mm -hmm. uh, an edited mind, because nobody, you know, nobody wants to see uh, an oscillograph of your mind just going, you know, the little blips going up and down and, and not much coming through uh, uh, except every five minutes. So, yeah, I, I speed things up. I try to cut out the, uh, the dead parts. I I, um, I I jump around, you know. I, I was l liberated, I guess, as a lot of people are, when when I was probably a teenager and uh, read somewhere that uh, that you know when when you're listening to a lecture, say in, in school, uh, only twenty percent of the people are paying attention to the lecture, and and of those twenty percent, mm -hmm. you know, they're thinking about the lecture, but they're also thinking about uh, you know their girlfriend or the, uh, the you know the 
lunch they're going to have or, uh, you know, how they're going to pay the bills and things like that. So it all, it all gets jumbled in there. But, you know, obviously I didn't want to jumble. I didn't want a daily jumble. I wanted uh, what was, uh, uh, you know, enticing and engaging. And again, go back to my, uh, my compound adjective before I wanted my poems to be action packed, like, like the old, uh, like the old Westerns. And uh, I, I do give a lot of talks and presentations uh, to to uh, uh, individual classes or at schools, and uh, every once in a while, someone will say, you know, a sophomore will say, "Do you revise your poetry very much?" And I'm, <laughs> I'm both astounded at that, but I also understand why they uh, why they ask it because I do try to iron out all the seams and the wrinkles, and just make it sound like you know a, a, a kind of brainy, but good-natured uh, neighbor talking to you over the fence. And uh, mm -hmm. if I can make it sound normal and natural, uh, then good for me. And one one person who's really helpful with that is Barbara Hamby, because uh, when I show her my poems, she'll she'll uh, you know she'll say, "Wow, that you know you just went from A to Z at about thirty five miles an hour, and it really worked well." <laughs> or she'll say, uh, "David, I, I don't I don't you don't make the connections here." And I have to go back and um, and do it, and it's doable. You know, it's 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 just the hours you you put into it. Uh, you know, when you watch uh, a, a stand-up uh, uh, comic, you know, like a, a pro like Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor on stage, uh, they'll go from one topic to another, and you're, you're not even you're not even aware of, of of what they did and how they how they got there. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, but but you're wrapped, you're engaged. You know, it's almost it's almost like you're hypnotized by by their by what it is that they're doing. So that that's what I'm going for. Yeah. So I get yeah I get the sense that you have rapturous drafts in a way. Not not that you wait for the inspiration to strike, but that when you start typing, it gets going and it gets going, and then you in the revision is is kind of scaling back and finding those forms. I I, I do what what uh, what you do, what everybody does. I think. I mean, there, there are times where I'm just looking out the window. And then times where it where it, uh, it it takes off, not only in in individual poems, but also uh, just just generally. Uh, there there were there was this maybe two summers ago. Um, you know, I mean, I, I I wasn't writing nonsense, but I just uh, you know I was at it every day. But what came out was you know it was more humdrum than I wanted it to be and so uh but you know i i uh, i do i do other kinds of writings i write essays i write book reviews i like to take long walks i like to go to the movies and, and cook and, and uh you know these kinds of things so i just uh i try to entertain myself in other ways and and uh you know w wait for the for the right chemistry which uh, consists of a lot of things but no nothing you can put together in a really programmatic way i mean you have to you have to feel well i I uh, I always um, kind of wait for and do my best to engender the mood I want to write in. So if I want to be funny and upbeat, you know, I I wouldn't do that after uh, after you know uh, doing three or four hours of yard work. You know, I might take a nap and have a cup of coffee and then do it. Or if I want to be more pensive, you know, that might be uh, something that that happens you know late at night or, or early in in the morning. But mm -hmm. uh, really, the, the the secret to me is no secret. It's it's just uh, it's just steady steady work and and trying to be as uh, as seamless as possible. I I, I tell a, a story a lot about a 
a man uh, I met a few years ago. Barbara and I were driving around South Alabama uh, visiting all these folk artists, and somebody says, well, you have to see uh, Charlie Tin Man Lucas. He lives uh, uh, in, in Pinkville. So we drove over to Pinkville and uh, asked people, and they kind of pointed down the road. We went to this uh, uh, big yard with a barn in it, and there were pterodactyls and uh, and uh, prehistoric creatures up in trees, but they were made out of car parts. And that's that's what uh, Charlie Tin Man Lucas did. And this guy came out and he was like, you know, pushing a, a rake around or something. And, and Sauce came over and talked and we chatted a little bit. And uh, he said, would you like to go to the barn and, and uh, see what I'm doing? And I said, yeah. And I realized I was in the presence of Charlie Tin Man Lucas who's had shows in New York. He's got work at museums and stuff like that. But even though I'd been at work for a number of years, uh, he became my my, uh, my latest Elvi because he, I realized his life was seamless. He was happy to talk to me. Uh, he wasn't worried about getting uh, you know back to work. And I've, I've, I've interviewed for my uh, journalism, I've interviewed uh, sports uh, stars and musicians, and a lot of them are just, I can't talk to you now, son. I got to get back to work, or uh, or I got to go rest up for the, for the game or for the show or something like that. But uh, he he was just like you and me talking right now, and I, I thought that, that that that's how I want to be, both both for my art and also just for my peace of mind. And, and instead of worrying mm -hmm. about it a lot, just just get up in the morning, eat, eat breakfast, and go out and start. And when the day's done, you look back on it and you say, "Well, I didn't do everything I wanted to do, but you know, I did some good stuff." So another thing I was kind of wondering was um, how you find, you know, the final forms of your poems in terms of stanza breaks or or where you're doing line breaks or when you choose to indent certain lines. Yeah, this seat of the pants stuff. And a little bit of it is is reacting to the poem I, I did last time. I mean, if I wrote a, if I wrote a, a three page poem that's in five five line stanzas, uh, I might want to write a two or a four page one poem that's one big stanza. But um, mm -hmm. I, I do think uh, I, I like to use the word the delivery system. Uh, you know, the Charles Wright, the poet Charles Wright wrote an essay a few years back where he said that uh, everything's been said. You know, there's, there's nothing new to say, so it's how you deliver it. And he, of course, he was overstating, but he was really talking about, about format. And uh, format is a it's kind of a trick, I think. It's a trick on the reader and a trick on yourself, because I know when I am, am uh, thinking about formatting, uh, I, I use it um, in large part as a way to get the the poem written. This poem needs to be fatter. Or this poem needs to be skinnier or longer or shorter. And so, uh, you know, a reader might read a poem and say, okay, here is a four-page poem, long poem by David Kirby. It's in six line stanzas. And I doubt if they say that because I hope they're just kind of lost in the experience. But if, if they're wondering <laughs> why I wanted to do it that way, the answer is that, that was the way that got the poem written. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, I will say that um, I, I, do have, I do have one trick that I use about, about 75% uh, of the time, which is, you know, typically, uh, in that book, as you know, they're, they're one-page poems. They're long poems that look like kind of Allen Ginsberg-y poems, the first one um, mm -hmm. and the last one, the Waffle House Index. You know, it's like a, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very Ginsberg. -y. 
and, and it's got Ginsburg's poetic father Whitman in it too. I even I even quote paraphrase and quote Whitman in it. But but you know the standard poem by yours truly is uh, two three four pages long, uh, five six seven stanzas, and there's a sawtooth margin, and uh, that you know that that too it, it's a form of discipline that may mean more to me than than to the reader. What I'll what I'll tend to do is is write a big long stanza, and then this is another beautiful thing about word processing. You go to format, you go to line, you go to line numbering, you click a button, you push OK, and it'll tell you, okay, you have 121 lines, and you think, all right, if I have 121 lines, I can cut one line from that, and then I have 100. 20 lines, and I could make uh, six 20 line stanzas. I can make 26 mm -hmm. line stanzas. I can make uh, 24 five line stanzas. And you, then you just sort of go back and do some preliminary cuts and see if you like the way the first couple of stanzas break. Yeah. And then I think, okay, um, you know, that old left hand running down the margin, margin looks kind of boring to me. Uh, do I want a, a tab? Do I want a double tab? Uh, you know, how do I want to, how do I do this? And again, it's just, it's just an element of play. I mean, I think of myself, uh, uh, when I'm doing that kind of the way I did, I don't even know if kids do this anymore. We, we did a lot of finger painting. They put a, a, mm -hmm. a white a frock coat on you, like a, as though you were like a little four year old surgeon. And then you sit down to all these finger paints, paints, you smear them around, you get them in your hair, you get them all over your clothes, which is why they put the protective gear on you. And it's just a glorious mess. And then you do something and, you know, your mom says, that's just, wow, that's just so beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you made one person happy and you made yourself happy and, and, uh, you know, good for you. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a higher form. Poetry is, is a higher form of play. Same thing is true for, uh, you know, for essay writing too. Cause you know, you said a lot of my poems are essay like, and, and, uh, I do write tons of essays, uh, very much the same way I write poems. It's just that they're formatted differently. And, uh, the essay, the essays have even more information because, uh, because you can, yeah. <laughs> you, you can, and you need to put something in a ten-page essay that you wouldn't put in a two-page poem. Right, um, <clears throat> and yeah, the, I'm glad you brought that up too. And it's a question that I wanted to ask you: is like in your head, you know, how do you think of the what is the to you the difference between an essay uh, and a poem? Because it's you know I write some poems, um, but I mainly stick right. in essays. And, and one thing that I like and admire about your work is the, is the way that you move through a poem. And it, it's, it's, it reminds me or my, my work reminds me of, of that, but I do it in essay. And so it's interesting to me, you know, to think of how a poem can be so much like an essay and how an essay can be so much like a poem and kind of <laughs> when those two genres kind of blend together. And I was just wondering, yeah, is there a way that you you kind of think of them differently? Well, I've uh, I've never uh, turned uh, a poem into an essay, but I've turned lots of essays into a poem because I'll start to look at them and I'll think, gee, this has got tons of poetic qualities. But there, but there are two very simple differences uh, between the, the forms, Michael. One is that the the essay allows and even calls for a lot more embroidery. Uh, if, you know, in a poem, I might scoot from uh, well, A to B to C pretty quickly. But with with an essay, uh, 
it, it, as though the reader is sitting behind me on a motorcycle. With the essay, the reader and I kind of walking arm in arm, and so I have to stop and say, okay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you need to consider these two more things. Now, if you're comfortable with that, let's move on to topic B, and from there to the, uh-huh. to the rest of them. So uh, there's a lot more in, embroidery. And then that other thing that I've already mentioned, speed. Um, I, mm-hmm. You know, reading poetry is not exactly up there with, uh, you know, making sure you've got enough to eat and, and clean uh, clothes to wear in a place to sleep <laughs> at night. It's something that is that is very precious and it's for civilized uh, people and it's what we do when everything when all the other senses are are satisfied so um, I, I never want to give the reader uh, much of a chance to escape uh, which is why my poems are, are fast moving especially at and at the start you know again let's go back to the pop concert uh, uh, template you, you know nobody ever uh, I mean I have seen people walk out and tune up you know tune the guitar and say let's see what shall I what shall I play? But they're, they're people you'll never hear of again because that, that's a mistake. You know, every, every uh, uh, pop star or rocker, you know, comes, comes out, you know, with a lot of noise and, and a, a big get the audience on their feet kind of thing. So I always want to start my poems off in a way that will, you know, that'll hook the reader. And, and once I've got them hooked, I want to keep them there. I don't, I don't want them to stop after a stanza and say, okay, I'm going to go make a, tuna salad sandwich and come back because they might not come back. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I want the poems to be, it, it's a funny thing for me to say since I've been talking about my three and four page poems, since most poems these days are, are you know, less than a page, but uh, even in those three or four page poems, uh, I, I think of them as, as very concise in that I could say mm-hmm. so much yeah. more, but I just want to get the, the essentials in there. And, but I also, I want to make it high calorie. You know, I yeah. want to offer the reader, uh, a, you know, a, a ton of flavor. Yeah, and I, I, it's a sense I get in your poems too. Is that while they're long, they're not long because they should be shorter. <laughs> they're they're long because. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, that's what I get the sense. And sometimes it's like the length comes from the breadth of the topics you cover, rather than. Yeah how much more you're saying than you need to, because I never really feel that, that you do say more than you need to. Um, another thing I wanted to, you know, talk about was kind of, you know, your, your sense of humor, like a, a trademark sense of humor in your, in your poems mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, where you got, you know, where, if you had any certain influences, maybe in poetry or elsewhere, you know, where you were like, Poetry is a place I can bring humor because, you know, and I, I think that's it's more common now to see it, you know, than it was, you know, decades ago when you think yeah. of um, poems. So I, I was wondering kind of where you got that 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 confidence mm. to say, like, I can be myself and I can be funny in this medium or in this genre. Well, you know, any, anything that I do, uh, I, I do because because people like it. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I'm often asked why, you know, why my poems are long, why, why my poems are a lot of a lot of poems less these days, but a lot of my poems are set in Europe because uh, the school where I teach has wonderful international programs. I'm, I'm not a, a wealthy guy, but they would send me over there, and I I, I would be in. Uh, Paris or, or, or Florence, and I would have time to write. So I'd write poems about my local uh, surrounding, almost kind of journalistically. You know, when, when I'm here, I write about what's what's going on around here. Uh, so, you know, or people would say, uh, 
gee, you write a lot about your, your wife. And I said, well, yeah, I spend a lot of time around my wife. So, uh, uh, you know, all, all of those things, uh, you know, I have reasons for them, but, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the three word answer is editors like it. You know, I wrote those poems and editors like what I, what I, what I do with them. And, uh, you know, Barbara and I, uh, edited a, an anthology called Seriously Funny, uh, poems about love, death, art, religion, politics, and everything else. Uh, that's, it's, you know, it's all contemporary stuff. It's probably got 160, 170 poems in it, but, but poetry has always been funny. It's always been funny. And yet, um, thing about poetry is that, Everybody's a poet. Everybody has written poetry. There's not a you know there's there's not a, a scientist or a, a you know a soldier or anybody who didn't at least write poems when they were in, in the eighth grade. And they're usually you know they're, they're poems that you mm-hmm. complain about your parents or your girlfriend or something like that. And so po- people uh, because of their own practice, not everybody is an engineer or a filmmaker or, or a ceramist, but everybody's a poet. So. Uh, you know, as, as a result, they have uh, they have a sense of poetry as being highly personal and usually pretty darn serious, and often uh, a, a lament uh, of some kind. And I've had people say at readings and and uh, uh, in class say, "I didn't know poetry could be funny." And, and I said, "Well, you know, uh, uh, Chaucer's funny, uh, Shakespeare's funny, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, Dante, Homer, all these people. They 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 cracked jokes. I mean, they told great stories mm-hmm. too." Uh, but uh, uh, there, there's more to the poets. There's more to poetry than the romantics. Uh, you know, there's more to, to, <laughs> to than Shelley and, and Keats. You know, talking about their uh, heartbreak and, and their, their physical conditions. So, um, so poetry, and especially in the mind of non-poets, gets kind of shelved on the on the gloomy uh, shelf. But uh, it's and uh, it's you know, but. You've probably noticed this when, when somebody uh, says you do something that 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 uh, they think is wrong it's because they don't do it. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've had people not really say don't do that, David, but, uh, you know, I've I've, I've uh, uh, I, I, you know, in, in sort of implicit ways, sometimes somebody will say I'm, I'm, I'm too easygoing or too comical or something like that. And these are people who don't see the world that way. You know, they, they see right. the world more, more tragically or, or, uh, or, or different. You know, if somebody looks at, uh, uh, somebody who's very, uh, stylized like Salvador Dali, you know, with his capes and his flaring eyes and his mustaches, you might say, well, that guy's a phony. That's because what that means is if I did that, I'd be a phony, but it wasn't a phony. He right. wasn't a phony to himself. Right. So, you know, what, right. what I, what I do with the jokes and the, and this and that are, um, are uh, you know very natural to me. That said, uh, b- because uh, there isn't a whole ton of humor all the time in most of the poems that show up, you know, on our phones that we get from the subscription service services. Um, people, uh, you know, pe- people will say, you know, David, you're funny, or David, you're a humorous poet. Actually, if you if you go to my if you go to my press's website right now. If you go to the LSU Press web, website and look up um, "Help Me Information," you know there's this, there, there's the, uh, the the they always have the bibliographical uh, information, the number of pages, the the cost per book, um, and then the tags that they can use to classify it. Like you know, if it's 
if it's nonfiction or a mystery or something like that. And mine says, if you look at the tag under uh, Help Me Information, it says humor poetry. Uh, and, and so my, my own press describes me as, as somebody who's <laughs> funny before he's somebody who's poetic. But if you read those poems, I mean, I've got poems about, about uh, you know, the, the deaths of parents and yeah. kids getting run over yeah. by drunken drivers. But, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it, humor is a, is a tool in the toolbox. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if, uh, right. if you can use a tool that nobody else can, people might say, well, well, he's, he does, he does this or, or, or that. He's, he's the funny guy. But, uh, I, I, th I, I would, I would hope I'm, I'm giving myself too much credit here, maybe, but I, I would, I would describe myself as a, as a three dimensional poet or a poet who uses all the tools in the toolbox, humor, but also, you know, tragedy, pathos, uh, you know, corniness, uh, syrupy sentiments, everything you can, you know, so it's the whole uh, entertainment package. Yeah. One last thing I really wanted to talk to you about, you know, in the book is is one of my favorite things about it is actually the note on sources uh, in the back where, you know, instead of, you know, doing some sort of like bibli bibliographic information or something that you kind of write an essay addressing, you know, the use of sources and, and a bit about kind of your process. And uh, I actually I loved that at the end of the book. Um, and I pulled a quote from that that I really liked. And I thought that I thought we could talk about just a little bit. And the quote from that, uh, that little kind of essay at the end is when you say that uh, when students tell me they're tired of writing about themselves, I say it's OK to write about something they heard in another class or read in Wikipedia or on some conspiracy nuts blog. Everything is real. Getting stuffed into a locker by a senior when you were in middle school is real. But so is a Beethoven symphony or the fact that Marie Curie uh, won not just a single Nobel, Nobel Prize, um, but two. And I, I really, um, I really, I really like that little section there. Um, you give, you know, it's like, you can't always write about yourself. Right. And like, sometimes that deeply personal writing, like you have to be kind of in the zone and ready to do it. And you can't wait for the, the stuff to come to you. I, I just like the advice that, that, not that people need permission to, but just advice to say like, you know, everything around you is useful for poetry. Like whatever you were looking at today, you can make into a poem. And I, and, and I liked that idea that everything is real. I thought, yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, it's it's all an experience because, uh, and, and you know, students will you know if you sometimes if you if you prod or push them a little bit they'll say well I just want to write about my own experiences and I say well like what? I say well like you know I I can't I don't know can't find a boyfriend or can't find a girlfriend or something like that and they will talk a little bit and and they'll say uh, oh I I I went to uh, you know the the most amazing concert when I was. Uh, uh, at, at home this summer, you know, I, I saw, you know, such and such a group and, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, carried me away. And, and, you know, I, I, that's when I say I, that's, that's an experience. That's just as much as, as an emotion, you know, why don't you write about that? Or, or, uh, yeah, write about, uh, Marie Curie, um, or just, you know, just think about stuff. I mean, I read recently that Harriet Tubman, used to carry two chickens with her when she went out to work on the Underground Railroad because uh, she thought she, she wanted to look as though she was running errands. I mean, if uh, if she if Harriet Tubman walked out and knocked on doors and said, hey, you have any runaway slaves here? You know, there wouldn't be any Harriet Tubman. But she would walk around and she would have two chickens. And I thought, OK, why two? 
why do you need two chickens? Does that make it a bigger errand? Uh, is one chicken not enough? And why not a chicken and a duck? Or why not a duck? Uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there, there's something going on. Um, a, a poem is always, is always a little problem-solving machine. And, and there are always problems to solve, whether it's your heartbreak or, uh, or uh, the life of Marie Curie or the life of Harriet Tubman or the fact that uh, out when Alfred Hitchcock was a little boy, I just read, read this this morning, his father, uh, he committed some minor uh, offense. His father, when he was five years old, marched him down to the local jail and uh, the, the officers put him in, in, a, in a cell. Uh, you know, for a few hours, then he got out, and, and he was traumatized by that. And he never, he never drove when he was a grown up because he was always afraid to be pulled over by the cops. So uh, that's, I'd, I'd rather think about that and write about that than, than you know, some some uh, issue in my own life. <laughs> All right, that's my conversation with David Kirby. Go check out his new collection today. It's called Help Me Information. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>